Vicky Potgita is an absolute treasure in this house. Why don't we welcome her as she comes? I just love every time you get this microphone because life and joy and wisdom just ooze out of you. And um, this is her first time preaching. She's done plenty of communion messages and things like that. But we just love you. We know you're going to be great. We believe in you. And it's just a joy to have you sharing with us this morning. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate that. Um, that's the first time I've ever been called preacher. I like it. Kids, take note. Mother, teacher, preacher. I think I'm going to go by that in future. <laughs> oh, Sarge. Yeah. My family calls me Sarge because they feel that I'm a little bit of a slave driver. I don't see it at all, but anyway. Um, so thank you, Pastor Justin and Anna, for inviting me to talk today. Um, yes, as Anna said, it's my first time, so I may stumble a bit, so just forgive me on that. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, you may not know that I'm a massive fan of realestate.com. Any other realestate.com lovers out there? I love it. You know, I love looking at the houses that are for sale in my area. I like looking at the houses that are in, for sale in Coffs in general. Then the prices, I always have a look and see, you know, how much they charge for their houses and drive by and have a look at that. Um, I also like looking at the layout of houses because I think in another life I probably would have been maybe an architect or a draftsman. Anna's nodding her head. She feels a, a similar passion inside her. And so I love looking at the layout of the houses and thinking, oh, you know, that wall doesn't belong there. I would knock that wall down, move the bathroom that way, definitely redo the kitchen. Um, and then, you know, right or wrong, I like looking at how they've decorated their houses, you know, and maybe a little bit of a judgment comes up there, and I'm like, no, that cream and that pink, just, you know, don't do it for me. Um, but then sometimes it happens that I'll see a house and I'll be like, man, that, that, that house is just perfect. It's, it's, oh, I wouldn't move anything, wouldn't change anything, wouldn't do anything. And generally those houses that I love, that are like my dream houses, are in the Byron Bay hinterland because that area, you know, I just believe God is one day going to plant us in that area. And I love it because... It's acreage, firstly. You know, there's these rolling green hills. There's farms. You know, over the green hills, there's just a bit of the ocean you can see. And so I'm looking at this house, and the daydream just comes, and I see my kids in the pool. You know, I see Con and I on the veranda, you know, having a lovely icy rosé. He might have a beer. I'll have the rosé. And we're just looking at the hill, at the, you know, the ocean, and I'm just, oh, this is beautiful, you know? But, you know, oftentimes these houses are way out of my price range. Like, not just a little way out, like way, way, way out. And so, in the daydream, it's like, I'm going to need to win the lotto for this house. That's what I'm going to need. I'm going to have to win the lotto for this house. And then, of course, I've won the lotto, I've bought the house, and then I'm like, I'm going to have to resign, you know? Sorry, Steve. You know? Con and I are going to have to retire. Um, and I'm just going to have to resign because this house is just, this life is too perfect for me. And I just think, I said, yeah, that would be just heaven. Like, this is my slice of heaven on earth. You know, so it was quite interesting when um, Pastor Justin asked me to speak about chapter 7 of the book. Because in this chapter, um, John Eldridge talks about the fact that everyone has this Eden heart. You know, this heart that is looking for their slice of heaven, their, their little bit of happiness, you know, true happiness, our own little bit of heaven on earth, you know. And so the search that we're all on, you know, it could be as simple as looking at something and saying, oh, 
that's all I need to be happy. You know, my Byron Bay home, that's all I need to be happy. You know, for some people it might be, you know, if I just found the most perfect partner, that's all I need. That's all I need to be happy. And then it could be that the family, you know, I just want a perfect family, a healthy family. That's all I need. That, that's just the thing I need to be happy. And for others, it might be a job. You know, you, you're in your job now and you see that job that's maybe two or three steps above you. And like, that's the job I need. That's the one I need to be happy. And for some of us, maybe a few of us, it's like no job at all. You know, retirement of 45. That's all I need to be happy. Um, so... How many of us would also admit to the fact that a couple of times a day, either spoken publicly or privately in your heart, you can be, oh, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, and we can insert whatever you wish for. Thank you. True honesty, I love it, because I always get up here and bear my soul to all of you. <laughs> um, you know, or, or if only, or if only I, anyone, if onlys, okay, or when I, I think that takes a little bit more ground, you know, when I, anyone, yeah. Great, thanks, Jules. So these statements all form part of what this Eden heart that John Eldridge talks about. You know, throughout the book that we've been reading up to thus far, you know, up to chapter seven, he talks about how many of us have come out of the COVID area and we just have this intense longing for life to be good again. You know, and we're searching for that thing that is going to make life good again. You know, because it has been a traumatic time and so we're coming out of it and we're like, I just want something to be happy. You know, and so what we're searching for can sometimes be found in what um, John Eldridge refers to as like maybe a counterfeit Eden you know, an earthly Eden, you know, the perfect thing that we think will complete us, you know, it, you, you, as fast as we trace it, as fast as the world is offering counterfeit Edens for us, you know, you think you need a new car, so all of a sudden on the ads on TV, there's a million different car ads, and they've got a perfect family all driving and wonderful scenery, and you think, oh, they're so lucky, that's all I need, you know, or it could be, you know, the, the holiday destination ads. Like, I just need this holiday, and if I have the holiday, I'll get over the trauma, and then I'll be happy. You know, it could be the perfect body. You know, you look at the gym ads and the food ads, and like, yep, once I reach that size 10, then that's when I'm going to be happy. So this is how fast seduction and deceit can happen. Jesus warned us about this, the lies and deceptions that come from longing for something else to make us happy. In Matthew 25, verse 23 to 25, it says, Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, sorry, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So in this, Jesus assures us that God's chosen, one, chosen ones will escape this. But the way he says it, you sort of get the meaning like we'll just barely escape it. Sorry, that doesn't sound very positive, does it? <laughs> You're just barely going to escape it. But don't worry, it gets better. Stick with me. So in the, in the examples I mentioned above about the cars and the ads and what have you, we can see that the world plays into it. There's a cultural on a cultural level, the world plays into feeding us all these counterfeit Edens. Um, an example that John Eldridge uses in the book is John Lennon's song, Imagine. Do you all know that song? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. But I will read it. Okay, so if you can just listen to the words of this. It says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today are... Oh, 
Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. So that song was written by John Lennon and Yoko Ono in 1971. So it was at the heart of the Vietnam War. So you can see there is a little bit of a political agenda to that song. But in the song, he offered this vision of a world made new. And it was alluring. And the impact of the song was profound in that day. And, you know, even today, it is quite a um, profound song and you hear it all over the place and people talk about it. You know, Rolling Stones called this song one of the greatest musical gifts ever, ever given to mankind. So it encourages us to imagine this world where there's no war, no materialism, no hunger, no poverty, no borders separating na um, nations, even no religion. So it became a bit of an anthem all over the world, but it does have obviously these very controversial lyrics and radical ideas. Disguised within its message of love and peace and its piano melody is a collection of dangerous ideas that challenge society and ultimately our faith as we know it. So this song refers to a place with no hell, no heaven and no religion. Basically, what John, and John Lennon is singing about is a world, a society, where there's a king kingdom but we don't have a king. And this thought of not having a king in our kingdom runs quite deep in human nature. It was sown into us as far back as the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, um, and it has historically been webbed into the fabric of our society. So historically, we can look at a couple of um, events, world events, we'll all know them, where this whole thing of having a kingdom but not having a king or Jesus in the center of it. The first one was Hitler's Germany, where he offered a vision of an ideal world. But instead, millions of people died trying to achieve this philosophy. Then in China, we have Chairman Mao's giant leap forward. So this idea started off great because it was fighting for the rights of the peasants, but they estimate in that for that um, movement, there was the death of 40 to 80 million people, and then another ruthless regime that was created. And then also during the Russian Revolution, the Bolsheviks promised to end war, to give the land back to the peasants, to restore um, equal rights for everyone. However, this also ended up in over 100 million people being killed and a very oppressive regime being created. And this is the legacy under which over 200 million people live today. But in a present day context, John Eldridge also talks about a phenomena that started in 2021. And this has actually been coined the Great Resignation. So what he explains this as a phenomena that happened in the US, where over the 2021 and 2022, over 40 million people actually resigned from their jobs during that time. Now, they were saying it could be because either the upheaval of COVID just became too much for them and they've decided to chuck it all in and leave their jobs, or it could be the time they decided, okay, hang on, now's the time, you know, now's the time for me to go searching. I'm obviously not happy where I am, so let's go searching for that Eden. You know, what is, what is the thing that's going to make me happy? You know, so whatever the reason why they choose, why those 40 million people chose to resign from their jobs, 
it sure sounds like what we've been hearing in the book, where it's a trauma response to COVID, people have weary, weary hearts, and they're looking for life to be good again. So the great resignation, could this be living up to its name where people have just become resigned to the fact that nothing's gonna be good again? That the perfect life isn't there, it's just the same disappointing world as always been. So this is what the mass exodus from the workplace feels like, that people were looking for, they weren't happy where they were, so let's look for that magical place, their Eden on earth. You know, Jesus understands he knows that all of us have this Eden heart. It's where we come from and it's where we're going again. However, how many people go looking for that Eden, that place, without putting the king in the middle of the new kingdom that they're looking for? Could this then be known, not as the great resignation, but the great spiritual resignation, where people have just reached a point, you know, Christians have reached a point where we said, no. Nope, I put my hands up, I'm just going to take whatever happiness I can find, with or without Jesus. You know, where they've decided to settle for any relief, whatever they can take. Where people are swapping out Jesus in their life, you know, Jesus as, you know, their redeemer, for a fast high, for a quick fix, where maybe it's a casual or an extramarital relationship, which John Eldridge says was massive in the time of COVID and just after. Um, or they swap out Jesus as their comforter with drugs, alcohol, whatever, any addiction, uh, any addiction they can find. And it's just basically them saying, okay, I tap out. I'm out of here. I tap out. John Eldridge says, tired souls are willing to go along with just about anything as long as they can have their little bit of happiness back. And this, is, this was quite a profound verse for me. In Proverbs 7, verse 7, it says, to the ravenous appetite, even the bitter is sweet. So we have to also be cognizant. We've got this. We have a tiry heart, a, sorry, a tired heart. We're looking for the good. We're looking for um, something to make us happy again. And then we have to realize that there is an enemy out there who is playing on that, who is selling his wares as fast as the world is offering. Um, and this is out there and his aim is to overrule our values and our Christian faith. We have to remember that when we're going into something new, whether it's a new job, buying or selling a house, entering a new relationship, if God's not in it, we shouldn't want to be there either. We only want what Jesus is in. So then the question is, where is Jesus and what is he doing right now? Is Jesus the one that is there helping us find this quick fix, this earthly Eden, the, this, this perfect bubble that is going to make us happy? Or is Jesus the one that is shepherding us through this, helping to build the resilience that we need to wait for his return? How is he working to help us bodyguard these Eden hearts of ours, these, these hearts that are searching? When Jesus says, don't be alarmed, don't let your hearts be troubled, and see that your hearts are not weighed down, He's making the assumption that we play an active role in protecting our own hearts. It is we who choose not to let our hearts be overtaken by fear or sorrow. And it's also within our own power to choose what we give our hearts to. Because it's true, life in the last couple of years has been very draining. It's had impacts um, on a lot of us emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. But it's important to realize that weariness, this weariness that we're all, all feeling, is not actually a weakness, but it's just a reminder of our own humanity. However, it's, we have to know that this weariness is not, does not allow us to be swept away by the landslide of all this tapping out. 
In the hour of disappointed hearts, we need to hold fast to the faith once delivered. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he talks about the life, the life that he's talking about is life eternal. It's not life earth side. The Eden that we are chasing is the Eden eternal. It's not just the Eden we search and can find here in earthly pleasures. However, it is good news because Jesus, in his all-consuming love and reassurance, he'll come along beside us and provide these little hors d'oeuvres. Do I say that right? Hors d'oeuvres. Hors d'oeuvres of heaven in the time of this intense madness. These are those little tasters or moments in life when we can look around and marvel at God's goodness, graciousness, graciousness and love. In Psalm 23 verse 5, you prepare, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Um, again, I had a massive laugh when I read this hors d'oeuvres of heaven, of Eden, sorry, because it made me remember a time in my life. It was um, probably the hardest three years of our life was when Con and our family had to move to Darwin. Um, some of you might know our testimony, and um, we move around for Con's work quite a lot, and so we had a three-year stint in Darwin. Has anyone been to Darwin? If you haven't, don't go. Don't. <laughs> no, I tease. I know the Shanks love Darwin. Um, you know, Darwin is a love-hate. Um, definitely for me, it was a hate. You know, it's, it's a very difficult place to live. It's very hot. It's very humid. This hair and Maya's hair hated Darwin. Before we got off the plane, the hair was saying, we don't like this place, get back on the plane. Um, it was a very, very difficult time in our life because um, Con was working on an oil and gas project, so I had the two girls, and I was pregnant with Q and our third, and um, for the first four or five months of pregnancy, it was really, really hard for me. I was very, very sick. And the oil and gas plant would, uh, it was a little bit outside Darwin, so they would bust their workers in and out. And so Con was gone six days a week from like six until seven. So I was alone with the girls. Um, and for those of you who know Darwin, uh, you might know that there's everything there is wanting to kill you. Like it literally, there's very, very poisonous snakes up there. There's a beautiful ocean. You just can't get into it because there's a box jellyfish that will kill you. If that doesn't kill you, a crocodile will kill you in the sea. So there's also a thing in the soil called meliodosis, which is like a bacteria um, that if it gets into a cut in your hand or stuff, you can lose a finger, you can lose an arm, which co colleagues of Con's actually lost a finger because he was gardening. So my poor kids, we couldn't ride outside because the humidity would kill us. We couldn't go to the beach and swim. We could just look at it from afar because a box jellyfish or crocodile would take us out. And, and so it was a hard time. Um, it was during that time as well that my father suddenly passed away in South Africa. And so I was six months pregnant, so I had to go back to South Africa to help my mom. And my family couldn't come with me because um, their passports had expired. So it was, a, it's, it was a really, really difficult three years. But what Darwin does have is a, an amazing Greek community. Do we have any Greek people in the house? There, Emmy! Um, man, you guys can cook. And, and that was a saving grace for me. You know, the, the, the Greek community in Darwin could cook. And, you know, they make these lovely little pastries called baklavas. And... Those people who know me know that nothing stands in the way of me and a good pastry. So 
What I would do is a friend of mine and I, we would drop the kids at school at like 8.30. Then we'd get in the car. We'd, Kewan would be in the back. He was a baby. We'd drive the back streets. We found this amazing little um, bakery in the back streets of Darwin somewhere. And we'd sit from 8.30 to 9 and wait for the bakery to open. And it open, we'd go in, we'd buy a kilogram of baklava. We'd sit in the car and we would munch this baklava. And the oohs and the ahs and mm, heaven, oh, love, oh, Eden, oh, this mm, mm, mm. Um, I'm being a bit flippant about an adobe of heaven because it wasn't actually the baklava. The baklava was just a side note. It was amazing. But it was this friendship that I had with this lady. They, um, another South African family, they were three houses from us and God knew exactly what they needed and we needed. And he planted this family three houses away who did life with us for those three years and helped uh, with the kids, helped when Con was away at work, um, were there when my father passed away. They were just absolutely unbelievable. And at that time, I knew that they were a blessing to me, but it's only in later years that I actually sat and thought about what a blessing it was and how God knew that I would need someone to come alongside me and lift me up and buoy my spirits because it was just such a difficult time. So I suppose it's for me, it was recognizing that friendship. And so it's always important for us when God offers these tasters or these hors d'oeuvres of Eden that we recognize these as moments, as gifts to sustain our heart, that they support us and even bring about a healing and a building of our resilience. You know, coming out of COVID, we can all consider us survivors. You know, we survived something that generations and generations before had never been through. You know, so we are survivors, and a survivor understands that the present situation is not a lasting situation. We are moving through it. It's something that we're passing through. We endure this through the resilience that Jesus provides for us. Um, and it's important to know that this is not your lasting reality. It's just your present reality. So if you tell a survivor, if you tell us that, you know, help will be here in three weeks, three months, three years, we cling on to that and we hold on to that and we know that we can move forward. But if you tell a survivor that hope is not coming, in our case, Jesus is not coming, that's when we can succumb to the crumbs of life that we find and where we can search the earth for the earthly Edens and succumb to its transient pleasures. But I told you it would get better. Spoiler alert. We're going to be good because we know that we get heaven back. We know that the great rescue is at hand and we therefore don't have to fall into a spiritual resignation. The true and eternal Eden, the kingdom with the king, it's what we as believers set our hat on. It's what we place all our hope and faith in. It's coming back. Jesus says, this is a great verse, let not your hearts be traveled, believe in God, also in me, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is, I will come again and I will take you there myself, that you may be where I am also. Isn't that great? We know that that is coming for us. This world, this earthly world, cannot be healed or set right without the return of a king. And that's exactly what the return of Christ means. The anchor of our faith will enable us to not let our Eden hearts take any counterfeit Eden, great or small, and can give us a hope so strong that we can endure anything. So church, before I pray for us, um, I'd just like to set before a challenge for you, for you maybe to ponder on over the next week. Um, and that is, what are you doing with your Eden heart? What do you do when your 
sorry, when your Eden longing rises up, searching for that thing that can ultimately only be found in Jesus. How are you shepherding your heart back to Jesus? When your eyes become drawn to the earthly Edens, or when you feel like throwing in the towel and embracing the spiritual resignation, what are you doing to continually choose Jesus? Because for me, I think the answer is just in the question, continually choose Jesus. Again and again and again. You know, I spoke earlier about Jesus um, having the assumption that we play this active role in protecting our hearts. And I think that's what it is. In, in this active role we, we take, we choose not to let our hearts be overtaken by fear or sorrow. And it's also within our power through the Holy Spirit that is in every one of us, about a choice of who we give our hearts to. So we have that power. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and it gives us the power to hourly, daily, weekly, yearly, every minute, turn our eyes back to Jesus. Open the door back to Jesus. To believe that Jesus is building a resilience in us, and that will time and time again return to us this resilience so that we're not tempted by the counterfeit Edens. If I can ask you to bow your heads, and I'd just like to pray for you. Oh Lord Jesus, we give our Eden hearts to you and you alone. We are so filled with longing for things to be good again. We want our lives to be beautiful. We want the turmoil over the last couple of years to be over. We're ready for our hearts to be restored and our weary souls to be renewed. Jesus, catch our Eden hearts. We put our hope in the restoration of the Eden when you return. We give our hearts to you and to your return. You alone are our only safe place. There is only one Eden. We give our heart to the true and only Eden, which you will restore when you return. Amen.